Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. So, this morning we are um, 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 doing the last of our series on David. Um, I mean, last week Phil kind of opened up the idea of mission, and we will pick that up in earnest in the next few weeks and months, particularly in May. Um, But today, we're doing the final one of our series in David, and it comes from 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And in the the Bible that, that I've got, it talks about David's charge to Solomon, or you could also call it David dies. David dies. And uh, you'll remember over the weeks that we've looked at the life of David, we've looked at David as this, this anointed leader king whose handling of Saul was absolutely exemplary. He was, he was amazing in the way he humbled himself in that. Also, his rise to fame and his faith in God were amazing. And God's testimony right at the beginning was, I will seek out a man after my own heart. And what did he find? He found David. That's what he found uh, when he was looking. And, and we know that as David was a shepherd boy there in the fields, that there were moments, even in that context, that David's heart was being lifted towards God. And some of, some of the most loved psalms were written during that period when David was looking after the sheep in a field. And he was writing something, the Lord is my shepherd. He's writing about what he's seen, his experiences of God. So when God, and we talked about that verse, that wonderful verse in the Bible where it says, the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth and he's looking. And what is he looking for? He's looking, he's looking for hearts. He's not looking for action, he's looking for hearts. He's looking for hearts that are to, for him. And where he finds those hearts, he comes and he strengthens them. Yeah? And we know that that's how God does it. We also know that God is very big on the heart. And he says to Samuel, when Samuel's looking for a king and he's looking at very tall people who look magnificent and splendid, and God says to Samuel, I don't look at the things that you look at. I look at the heart. And so you have this idea of David, and then we looked for a couple of weeks at David. I suppose the sin in some ways that defined David, his sin with Bathsheba. And we talked about uh, what is it like to, how, how, how can you avoid the kind of sin of David? When David was, was there in his house and he sees Bathsheba and all that kind of stuff, actually he wasn't even meant to be there. And, and one of the ways that God gives us to protect us from sin is simply to live life and to do the things that he's called us to do. And if you are where you're meant to be, you won't be where you're not meant to be. And if you're not where you're not meant to be, you can't do things you're not meant to do. Yeah, or it's a lot harder. You can do them, but it's really hard. Yeah, it's very hard when you're working to also be trying to sin as well. Yeah, so um, so we looked at that and we also looked at others in that story. We looked at Uriah and how Uriah's righteousness almost exposed David's sin. And then I think the following week we looked at um, how David responded to his sin. And that was, again, just a wonderful example to us 
when we, we just looked through Psalm 51 and how David responded to sin. And the most important thing to him was he understood that his sin had separated him from God and the presence. And that was the thing that he really, he really couldn't handle. He couldn't handle the fact that God wasn't with him because of his sin. And so he comes back to him and he, 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 he kind of, well, he prays, doesn't he? What does he pray? Because he gets it. Create in me a clean heart. So David understood the heart. He understood that God relates to people through the heart. And that's where if God wins your heart, he's won you. Yeah? He's not just trying to win you by vision. He's just trying to win you by your heart. So we looked at all of those things. And then today we come, we've moved on in the story. And we're looking at, at the end of David's life. And so I'm going to read the first 12 verses of 1 Kings chapter 2. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. What was the promise? If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. David goes on, now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as, as if in battle. And with that blood, he stained the belt round his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his grey head go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillia of Gilead and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom and remember you have with you Shemaiah, son of Gerar, the Benjaminite from Baharim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanaim. When he came to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword, but now do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do to him. Bring his grey head down to the grave in blood. Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned for 40 years over Israel seven years in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his rule was firmly established. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we give you thanks for uh, just your presence with us. We thank you that every time you're you present yourself with us. It's fulfilment of your promise that you dwell where your people are. And we've experienced that today. 
And Father, I ask that those uh, who just sit here in this group, that many would have already heard your voice. I pray for obedient hearts. I pray for soft hearts and open hearts to you. And I pray, Father, that my words will fall like seed on those things. In Jesus' name, amen. It seems to me that in this day and age, it would be right to make some comments on death in the light of the fact that we are looking at this story of David and David's life ending. Because it seems to me that we ought to understand what the Bible says about this and kind of be aware of what the world says about this and how our culture does it and which way we go with it. So in our, in our culture, really, there are a number of things that are very, uh, are very poignant when people die. First of all, in our culture, at least, we would see death as being the end. And that's one of the reasons why so many people want to do so many things in their life. That's one of the reasons why we have developed this understanding of the bucket list. What things do you want to do before you die? Before the end of your life? What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? Where do you want to go? And for the first time ever in history, it is possible to do anything almost. If you have money, yeah, you can go to almost anywhere in the world. There is nothing you can't do. Yeah, that has not been the case in generations gone past, but that is the case in this generation. You can almost go anywhere and do anything. Yeah, oh, we're going to go here, we're going to go there, we're going to see this, we're going to see that, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. You know, the hundred films you ought to see before you die. Have you ever seen that? If, if you did every one of those lists, you would be watching movies every day. Yeah? And do you know what? I would love that, because I do love, personally, I love movies. And if you're saying those are the hundred best movies, I'll watch your hundred best. And then I'll watch his hundred best. Yeah? I love movies. Yeah? So we often see death as the end, and so we think, oh, what have I got to achieve? We also, and I'm not saying it's not this, so please don't hear what I'm not saying. We also consider death every time to be tragic. And at times, death is very tragic. Yeah? Uh, But actually, for the Christian, there are other thoughts that ought to then flood our minds beyond that initial sense of tragedy and mourning, which is very appropriate. There are other things which come to us. And so I'm just going to make, before I just unpack that passage a little, I just want to make some observations that kind of get us back into line with what does the Bible say about this thing of death? And the first observation is this. Death is natural. Death, Ecclesiastes tells us, is the destiny of every man. David's comment was, um, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Yeah? No matter how successful I have been, no matter how powerful I have been, I'm going to go the way that everyone goes. Yeah? And we know that to be true because, you know, we're living in 2018 and I can't remember, I didn't look up how old the oldest person in the world is at the moment. But if there is one person left that was born in the 19th century, there's probably only one or two. Yeah? People don't live forever. Yeah? 
Death is a natural part of the way life works. What the Bible says about that is not only death is the destiny of every man, which it says in Ecclesiastes, but it also says this, just as man is destined to die once, after that to face judgment. So according to the Bible, there are two known things about people. People will die and people will face judgment. Yeah? According to the Bible, those two things go hand in hand. We die and we face judgment. And if you think that's true, then it makes your understanding of the gospel even more, oh my goodness, that's why the gospel's here. Because actually, without the gospel, everyone faces judgment and without Jesus, nobody can stand before him. So it should give us that sense of gratitude and it also should fuel us in our desire to let other people know because we know, or do we know, we believe that death is coming for all of us and then judgment. We also know from the Bible that death is not to be feared. Death is not to be feared. It's not to be something to be scared of. In Romans 8, verse 36 to 38, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, it mentions a, num- a number of other things, but then it goes on to say, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So when you die, you do not separate from God's love. Yeah? Well, you don't need to fear death. Because when you die, it's not the end of your relationship with God. It's not the end. Death is not to be feared. For the Christian, our hope in this life goes beyond the grave. Can I just bring your Bible, Phil? I just forgot to bring mine. You want slightly bigger words than my little one. Um, and I need slightly bigger words at this point. Sorry, I should have turned this up. But just turning up a passage in... 1 Corinthians 15. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how come some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Yeah? If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, what we do is pointless. Because what we do is not just about this life. There is something more to it than that. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only, and this this is a very interesting passage because we don't often live like this. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied. Now, I don't know how often we think, I mean, I, to be honest, I don't think about that. I don't go around thinking, if only in this life. I don't think, we love life. I'm not saying we shouldn't love life. 
But this is the strength of Paul's understanding of death and resurrection and what's to come. If only for this life we have hope, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So our hope is for life beyond the grave, that death is not the end. Death does not separate me from God. In fact, death leads me into an even more intimate relationship with God. Romans 6, I won't turn to it, we died with Christ, which is why if, you, if you've ever been baptised, and we will do another baptism here at some point, and if you're interested in baptism, then you should speak to us, because baptism partly is this symbolism of death. Yeah? When you go into the water, you're being baptised into his death, Christ's death, and you're being raised into new life with Christ. That's what we symbolise through baptism. That's why baptism is actually so important, because it is symbolic of what Jesus has done for us. And not only that, but we believe, don't we, that death needs to not only new life, but better life. Better life. Life eternal in the presence of God. Revelation 21 verse 4 says this, He will wipe away every tear from eyes, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So there is an element where God has made this kind of decision that when you die, actually, you go into the best kind of life. Yeah, no mourning. Yeah, we mourn, we grieve. The old, no crying, no pain. Now, we can't even begin to conceive life like that. Because life like that does not exist this side of the grave. But it does exist. It does exist. So then just returning, just giving that kind of backdrop, returning to the specifics of this passage, what can we learn from David when he speaks about his, his passing? What did he do? It's very interesting what he did. The first thing he does, you could summarise, is he tells his son Solomon, man up, Solomon, Man up. Yeah, he says to him, he gives him a little pep talk, be strong, act like a man, observe what God requires. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Well, let me just give you a a couple of thoughts about why he does that. Because sometimes death hits us so, so badly, death can be so difficult that the death of a loved one defines our life from that moment. Sometimes that's what happens to people. Yeah? And you may have, I have met people who have been defined by the death of a loved one. Now, I'm not saying the death of a loved one isn't deeply difficult. We have experienced that ourselves. I remember when my mum died. I remember when I heard the news that she was ill, uh, very ill, and that the doctor said, actually, there's nothing we can do. It was one of those kinds of messages. That's difficult when you hear that about your mum. That's difficult. Yeah? But there is a real um, danger that on one hand I could respond to her death in a way that would then define me and that everyone I met after that, the first thing you would hear, whether I sped it in words, is my mum died. 
my child died. Yeah, you can be defined there. And so David is saying to Solomon, man up, be strong. <clears throat> and that was important for him to say that to Solomon because Solomon wasn't the only son who was looking to take the throne. Solomon wasn't the only person around who wanted to be king. Yeah, other people just couldn't wait to be king. They were there looking for the throne. So he was saying to him, be strong, act like a man, observe what God requires. Don't let my passing define your future. Don't get so caught up. Don't be so weak. Don't don't be so hidden in my identity, Solomon, that when I pass, you don't have anything else. He tells him to man up. He also tells him, have faith. Have faith. It's interesting that he speaks to him of the promise and the condition of the promise. It's interesting because what it tells you about David is David truly believed God. When God said to David, if people sit on your throne and they follow my ways and they commit themselves to me, if they do that, David, you will have someone on the throne forever. David didn't go, well, I'm not sure. I know God said that, but you know, he probably said that to everyone. No, God hadn't said that to everyone. And David believed it. And how do you know he believed it? Because when you're dying and you're ill, you don't waste words. You don't. I've seen it. I saw it with my mum. I saw it with Ben. You don't waste words. This is not the moment for superficial rubbish. This is the moment for what do you really think? Yeah? In fact, one of the things that I remember Ben said to me, which is really... It was, it was quite, it wasn't funny at the time, but when I think back, we were at his house and we needed to get him to hospital. And Ben normally was the politest person in the world. And so he genuinely was like that. But we needed to get him to hospital and we were there at home. And Ben said, we were trying to work out who should take him in the car. And Ben said, Owen, I've seen you drive, not you. (laughs) Ben would never normally do that. And I kind of just went, okay, (laughs) it's not me. (laughs) He said, I've seen, no, it's not you. (laughs) And so Phil drove him, as you can imagine, (laughs) nicely and kindly. And I think there was extra pressure on him at that moment because Ben was like, Phil was like, okay, I've got to be better. (laughs) I can't be like Owen. So, um, So he reminds him of God's promise and God's condition for that promise. And so we see that David had faith. And I can't stress enough, I can't encourage enough, have faith in God. Please, have faith in God. Be like David was, that when you lie on that deathbed, however that comes for you, that you are able to say, oh, just let me remind you. Let me remind you of the promises. Let me remind you of what God has said. It was one of the biggest signs that David was a man of real faith. And then it's interesting, the other thing, we look at David as this great man, he's a man after God's own heart and all of that kind of thing. But then there's this very interesting bit, which is really a little bit uncomfortable, when he starts talking about Joab and others, he killed them, shedding their blood. Um, and he says to him, um, uh, 
deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his grey head go down to the grave in peace. I'm like, oh my God, it's a bit harsh. Yeah, and obviously we wouldn't, we wouldn't necessarily talk like that, but one of the things that you could see in that was there were issues that were unresolved in David's era. There were things that he hadn't been able to sort. And maybe it was clearly that there was pain there. Yeah, People had hurt him. People had caused him pain. And whilst I don't think we should be going around saying, do not let their head... I don't think we should be doing that. Sometimes, do you know what? You need to resolve things. I remember when, when um, we were in our, our previous church at King's and we had had a pastor for a while and then we kind of had, uh, I suppose, what, what in the Anglican church you would call an interregnum. We didn't really call it that. But a period where we didn't have a pastor before a new pastor came. When the new pastor came, um, do you know what? There were issues that were unresolved from previously. And what he could have done is just ignored them. Said, everyone, fresh start, don't worry. Uh, but, he, but he didn't. Yeah? And one of the reasons that I think that the church had got into a bit of a muddle and into a bit of a mess was because there were unresolved issues. And I remember him coming along and I remember him just finding a way and he sorted it. Yeah? And in sorting it, he allowed for the, the church to continue to grow, the blessing to continue to come. And... Solomon, by sorting things, allowed for his own kingdom to be established. Sometimes you still need to resolve stuff. You can't just ignore it. You can't just ignore stuff. David's legacy was this. It was a promise, someone will sit on the throne, and it was a word over his life, you're a man after my own heart. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? It's helpful for us because he clearly wasn't perfect. He made mistakes and errors. He didn't fulfill everything in his lifetime. Yet his testimony of his life was, he's a man after my own heart. So how do we die? We often want to be remembered. I remember, if you've ever read, maybe read, I can't remember, I heard it somewhere, forgive me, I don't know where I heard it, but the story of Alfred Nobel, Nobel, has anyone heard that story of Alfred Nobel? Well, Alfred Nobel, you may recognise the Nobel part of his name, he actually, before he did anything else, he was the inventor of explosives and in particular dynamite, yeah, he, I don't know what he did, but he somehow made dynamite. And uh, what happened was, uh, when he, it was in a, the late 19th century, he, um, he read an epitaph, his brother died, and people thought it was him. So he read an epitaph of his own life while he was still living. And part of this epitaph said of him, almost like, oh, we're glad he's gone, because this man invented stuff that killed people even easier than we ever did before, or something like that. And he was shocked by that. He was shocked by the fact that people were remembering that he had created something that simply killed people. He was shocked by it. So what he did, now whether all these motives are there, I don't know, but what he did, he then left much of what he had gained, his legacy, his money, to set up these five, I suppose, prizes that became known as the Nobel Peace Prizes. 
He's put money aside for achievements in particular areas, science and literature and whatever it was. And it said that he did that because he, he couldn't, he almost like couldn't face being known as this. Now, he had obviously done that. You know, he had, he had uh, invented dynamite, however you invent that kind of thing. Um, but he wanted to be known for something different. And many of us, you know, you often get asked this question these days. If you go to some kind of seminar or workshop, you know, what do you want on your tombstone? What do you want? I don't even want to think about what's on my tombstone. Yeah? I don't want to tell you what's on my tombstone. Yeah? When you remember me, please say these words. Owen Watts. Yeah? It's not for me to say what... Do you know what I mean? That's not my, it's not my place to tell you what, I, what people should think. Again, I remember if you were at Ben's funeral, you could, you could have found a, a million things that could have been on his tombstone, none of which he would have said. None of which he would have said himself. Because that just wasn't, it just wasn't him. But it, it, it exuded out of everything that was said. Oh, he was this, he was this. I remember the same many years ago from my mum. Yeah? She would have said nothing. And if you met her, this slightly older black Jamaican lady wandering around, praying and talking, inviting you to come and help her clean the kitchen, she would have done that. Yeah? Had she been here, you'd have, oh, Owen's mum's here. She's invited me over. I'm taking her to Clapham and then I'm dropping her off and then I'm going to cook for her. Yeah? You didn't need to know her very well for her to do that. But when you heard the testimonies that came, the faith, the prayer, yeah? And, and my own testimony would be, oh, I knew what it was to pray because I watched mum. I knew what it was to be hospitable to lots and lots of different kinds of people because I watched my mum, because I lived in that kind of environment. It wasn't because I'd been trained, yeah? It was, that was the example. That was the way she lived, You don't write your own epitaph. Don't worry about how people might remember you. Live before God and let God worry about how people remember you. Yeah, David lived before God and God said of David, he's a man after my own heart. Yeah? David could not have persuaded the Lord, Lord, what are your thoughts about me? No, you can't do that. We can't do that. But we live before God. We live the life that he's given us. It's for others to say. Don't spend your life creating a bucket list. Please don't do that. Spend your life being faithful and obedient to what God has called you to do. Don't just spend it trying to for, looking for experiences. Like David, live according to promise. I imagine if I spent half an hour with every single individual, and I've done that with many of you, but if I spent half an hour with every single one of you and I asked you, what has God said? I imagine almost every one of you could tell me something. Oh, do you know what? God once did, oh yeah, once some, I imagine almost, some of you have lost it, but you could say it. Live according to promise. And if you can't find your own, oh, I don't remember anyone ever saying anything, just go to the scripture and you will find a billion promises that you can apply personally. You can make them your own. It's God's comments on our life that matter most. What does he say? What does he say? 
I want to encourage us with one more thing or bring this one more thing. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. When we understand what it is to die, when we understand what the Bible says about death, then, then our, our gratitude for the gift of God should be all the more sweet. The wages of sin are death. Death is in the world because of sin. Yeah? But eternal life is there, everlasting life is there because of Jesus. And so if you are found in Jesus, you're no longer having this destiny. Death for you is simply the passing from one experience of God to another experience of God. And when you go to that new experience of God, there's no mourning there, there's no crying there, there's no pain there, there's no death there. It's something to look forward to. It's something to embrace. If you have not accepted Jesus, then you may well sit still under that phrase, the wages of sin is death. But actually, Jesus always offers us. He's always opening. Matt talked about the the Holy Spirit comes gently, but he always comes. There was the prayer about God pursuing us. Well, God always makes an invitation. Whosoever would believe. Whosoever. Could be anyone. If you believe, you can have eternal life and be found in him. If you do, hallelujah. I'm going to pray just to, just to really close. And uh, I mean, it may be that, that some here want to respond. I would uh, uh, just, even as I pray, if you have felt either through this talk or just through the worship and the words that were brought, if you've just felt God speaking to me, I just want to encourage you to stand where you are. I'm not going to do anything big, but I'm just going to ask you to stand as I pray. Is, is Pauline still around? My love. Just, around, just coming out, my love. Play one of those songs you were playing earlier. I'm in trouble. <laughs> but I, I do want us to, uh, because it may be, there's all sorts of things that, I've t- that, have, been, that have come up today. There have been some quite powerful words in our, in our worship. There was, e- even the books... Let me be honest, even the books, oh, oh yeah, mm, that could be me. Even the prayer, oh yeah, even us praying for Casey, oh yeah, oh yeah. There just might be stuff. So why don't we just bow our heads um, for a moment. And every time we come together, uh, one of our practices when we pray before the service is that, is that God would speak. That God would speak. And that he would speak into hearts. Um, and the Bible says of, of, of preaching that when you do it, you're, you're to uh, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful, perseverance, careful instruction. And because our hearts fluctuate, they go up and down, they're different in one moment. One moment I'm open, next minute I'm not open. One minute I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the sovereignty and the sufficiency of God, the next moment I'm not aware of it. 
And on any given Sunday, our hearts are all in different places. So something, anything could have come out today for you. And I'm just going to give you a moment. And if you're saying to yourself, do you know what, that's true. Uh, Something has spoken to me. I'm just going to encourage you to stand. That's all you need to do. I'm then going to pray and we're then going to finish. But if, if you know that God has spoken to you today in all the multifaceted ways he could have spoken, I want to encourage you to stand. you to lift your hands those of you who have stood I'm just going to pray and uh, uh, we're just going to ask that the Holy Spirit will bring clarity and uh, further confirmation and also that you'll know what to do Father I thank you for my brothers and sisters here who have stood and acknowledged that today you have spoken to them. And so, Father, it is our passionate desire that when you speak to us, that the seed of your word would fall onto good ground and it would bear much fruit. Father, we're not asking for a seed that falls on rocky places, although if we're honest, some of us just go, God, I'm rocky. It always starts and then it stops. But Lord, I pray today for seed to fall on good ground in the hearts of my brothers and sisters who have stood. Holy Spirit, I pray that in your pursuit of us and them today that you would heal what needs to be healed. We ask for your healing. Whether that be a physical ailment or whether that be a heart issue we ask or a relational issue we ask for healing oh God we ask oh God for uh, that sense of assurance where maybe we have wondered what to do we've doubted we've questioned and this morning there is that sense of oh, I know what to do I just need to do it Father, I pray for a settling in the spirit. And Lord, I'm aware that sometimes that can be around truth. I will settle in my spirit. He is all sufficient. It's a faith issue. He is all sufficient. I won't ask all those questions I keep asking when I'm having a down day. He is all sufficient. I pray, Father, where you have to do that in hearts today, that you would do that. I pray, Father, where 
Some of us need to move on and not be defined by things in our past, whether it be the death of someone or whatever it might be. I pray today that you would bring breakthrough in that area. No longer defined by past sin or hurt or difficulty. As David said to Solomon, man up, be strong. Observe what God requires. I pray for that. I pray, Father, there are some of us who, as we have stood, we are acknowledging in our own hearts that we have become maybe a bit hard-hearted. And Lord, when Matt spoke earlier, he talked about the gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come to dominate you. He does come to draw you. And then when Emma testified, she testified to the God who pursues us no matter what. Father, I pray that you will melt hard hearts when people recognise the way you come to them. And even in this moment, I ask, O God, where the heart is hard, would you melt it with your gentle pursuit? Your gentle pursuit loving pursuit and Father where the lack is faith and even as Val prayed earlier some of us were weak in faith and we are now strong and we give you thanks for that but Father where there are those among us that remain weak strengthen them I pray in Jesus name Strengthen their hearts. Lord, we pray for all these things and we are confident. We are so confident in you. Lord, this is not about me. This is very much about you and what you have said and promised and done. So I pray, Father, continue your work of absolute grace in the lives of every person in this church. We ask for that. Lord, I I long for people to uh, be set free. We, 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 We sing so often about being set free from shame and other things. Lord, we pray for that reality. Yes. In our own experience of you. Settle things, I ask, oh God. I pray all these things in your name. I pray for your glory. Trust and believe that what you're doing is for our good. God meant it for good. Thank you for that truth, Father. Thank you for the promises. This morning we hold on to them. In the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.